0: Numbers 20. Numbers 20. In in verse 1, Miriam dies. Uh, Then in verses 2 through 13, we will see the people complaining about a lack of water, and we will see a failure of Moses and Aaron. Uh, But in verse 1, the sons of Israel, the whole congregation, came to the wilderness of Zin. In the first month... The people stayed at Kadesh. Now, Miriam died and was buried there. So the whole congregation comes to the wilderness of Zen. The text tells us that Miriam died. Now, this is dated in the first month. What year is it in the wilderness journey? 40. It is assumed often it's 40. I think that's a good assumption, but we'll tell you why, because it is not stated here in this particular verse. It just says the first month and does not clarify. Now, the reason it's generally believed to be the 40th year is because also at the end of this chapter, Aaron dies. In verses 22 through 29. Look over at Numbers Numbers 33. Numbers 33 and verse 38. Aaron the priest went up to Mount Hor at the command of the Lord. He died there in the fortieth year. After the sons of Israel had come out of the land of Egypt on the first day of the fifth month. So Aaron is specifically said to have died on the first day of the fifth month of the fortieth year. So Aaron's death is in the fortieth year. Could it be that Miriam's was also in the 40th year? Another connection. Keep your finger right there in Numbers 33. But notice it says the sons of Israel came to the wilderness of Zin. And where Aaron dies in in verse 22 uh, through 29 is Mount Hor. If you look at Numbers 3... In verse 36-38, they went to the wilderness of Zin, that is Kadesh, and they journeyed from Kadesh and camped at Mount, at Mount Hor. And so, I do think it is reasonable to think, as John said just a moment ago, that this is the 40th year that is being described. I think that's reasonable probably to uh, understand. Now, one of the things that tells us, if we are correct in that, what we have from Exodus 15 to Numbers 10 is we have a one year and two months about 14 months or so uh, I think it's actually the 20th day of the second month when they start out from Mount Sinai so not even a complete 14 months you have 14 months about right here then at the end at Numbers 20 to the end of the book of Deuteronomy you have things that happen in the 40th year Remember, Moses' sermons in Deuteronomy, it says early in Deuteronomy, are in the 11th month of the 40th year. So, I mean, the book of Deuteronomy are sermons and lessons that he preaches when they are on the verge of the promised land. That means that for about 38 years, all we have is Numbers 11 through 19. In those, they seem to be what is recorded there about the uh, complaining of Miriam and Aaron, uh, the people's complaining for lack of food and water, uh, the the rebellion of Korah, and the spies refusing to go in, these things are... they epitomize what happened in those 38 years. But uh, again, God summarized a long period of time with only a few accounts compared to how concentrated the revelation is at each end you understand what i'm saying there okay everybody have questions right there okay this is one of the most monumental events in the wilderness and so in verse 2 there was no there was no water there was no water for the congregation they assembled themselves against Moses and Aaron. The people thus contended with Moses and spoke, saying, If only we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. Why then have you brought the Lord's assembly into this wilderness for us and our bees to die here? Why have you made us come up from Egypt to bring us into this wretched place? It is not a place of grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, nor is there water to drink. Then Moses and Aaron came in from the presence of the assembly to the doorway of the tent of meeting and fell on their faces. Then the glory of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord said to Moses, Take the rod, and you and your brother Aaron assemble the congregation. <clears throat> And speak to the rock before their eyes, that it may yield its water. For thus, for shall, you shall thus bring forth water for them out of the rock, and let the congregation and their beasts drink. So Moses took the rod from before the Lord, just as he had commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly before the rock, And he said to them, Listen now, you rebels, shall we bring forth water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock twice with his rod. And water came forth abundantly, and the congregation and their beast drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you have not believed in me to treat me as holy in the sight of the sons of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the wilderness which I have given them. These were the waters of Meribah, because the sons of Israel contended with the Lord, and he proved himself holy among them. Okay, let's look at these verses. The Bible says there is no water. There is no water and the people began to complain. We have seen the lack of water. We have seen that lack of water mentioned in other cases. Remember the name of the place where the people, the water was bitter and they threw in the tree and the bitter water became sweet where was that? Mara, yeah. yeah, or in Exodus fifteen twenty-two through twenty-seven. There was another complaint about water in Exodus seventeen verses one through seven. One that Lord willing, we'll look at in just a moment. And now, um, now this one, and also there will be in twenty-one in verse five. Now. As some writers point out, if we were to travel through this wilderness, we would probably be sympathetic to them. But the biblical writers aren't. In the last congregation where we preached, there was a prince in the congregation. He lived in Florida with us, or in our area, who was a prince in Nigeria. And... He was raising some money to get a well because the people had to walk seven miles for water. And we um, contributed some and they were able to build the well. And he said the people were so overjoyed. What I'm saying here, let be thankful for the fact that everybody had a faucet to turn on. This is not something to be taken for granted. It is something for which we need to be profoundly thankful. And the Bible says there's no water. They assembled with Moses and Aaron and it says they contended with him. Now, I want to leave this verse on the board, 20, verse 3. It's also in verse 13, this word contended, because we want to come back to that at a later point. But they contended with Moses and says, If we perish with our brothers, I think the reference to our brothers here is probably a reference to Korah and that rebellion in number 16. Look at who the people are identifying as brothers. They're identifying Korah. <clears throat> if we wish we had perished with our brothers, why have you brought the Lord's assembly into the wilderness? Now, I just tried to write down every place in the wilderness experience where I could remember the people attribute deliverance to Moses and not to God. And I counted at least four in Exodus, and this is one of three in the book of Numbers. And I'm not really even including Numbers 14 in that. Numbers 14 where the people said, uh, the Lord has brought us up to destroy us. They they attribute it to the Lord, but for bad motives. And, And what's the big deal? When they keep attributing it to Moses, they are taking God's hand out of the situation. That was the same thing that they did when they were looking forward to conquering the land. They were taking the Lord's hand out of that. One of the reasons they took the Lord's hand out of the future is because they'd taken the Lord's hand out of the past. They kept saying, it's Moses who brought us up from the land of Egypt. Moses didn't have the power to do the plagues and to divide the sea. Only the Lord had that power. But you see, it's easier to complain against a human leader and to pretend to be God's people than it is to, complete, to directly complain against God Himself. And why have you brought this assembly into the wilderness for us and our beasts to die here? This is a wretched place. It doesn't have grain. It doesn't have figs. What does that remind you of that we've studied recently? Egypt. Well, it makes me think of them... uh
1: longing for the the, they long for Egypt Egypt.
0: and remember particularly Dathan and Abiram state you brought us out of a land flowing with milk and honey you haven't brought us into a land flowing with milk and honey and he mentions some of these things that that just did not exist but that's in number 16, 13 and 14 but yes they, they long for these for Egypt but they're unthankful for what they have now yes Mary?
1: Um, their parents were the ones that really brought them into the wilderness because they didn't believe. So they're blaming Moses. Yes, it's yes. Really the, their generation. It, it's because
0: of disobedience to Moses and ultimately disobedience to God. They've been here so long, you know. So that's a good point, John. Is this the next generation? There is a question about that. Obviously, with Moses, Aaron, and Miriam here, there are some left from that. But but to try to figure out how many are left is difficult. And some people, because they refer to Korah as a brother, and not so much like our fathers, but refer to him as a brother, some people use that as an argument that this may have occurred earlier than that 40th year. But I I just think 40th year is the safest if we're going to try to make a guess. But but yes, I think there's some. There would still be a mixture of generation; They've not all died off. It's not the last year yet. And, and when Moses and Aaron hear this, they fall on their faces. And that was recorded three times, remember, in number 16, that the people fell on their faces. In verse 4, verse 22, verse 45 of number 16, they fell on their faces anticipating God's judgment at this act of blasphemy and ingratitude. Now again, if this is true of Israel in the wilderness, how much more when we have been so blessed? But God gives Moses these instructions. He says, One, take the rod. Two, you and your brother Aaron assemble the congregation. And then three, speak to the rock before their eyes speak to the rock before their eyes that it may yield its water. Now that's what God tells Moses, take the rod, you and your brother Aaron assemble the people and speak to the rock before the people that it may yield water. In verse 9, Moses took the rod. He took the rod. In verse 10, Moses and Aaron gathered the people before the rock. And he said to them, "Listen now you rebels, shall we bring forth water for you out of this rock?" Then Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock twice with his rod, and water came forth abundantly, and the congregation and their beast drank. That works in the sense that water is provided for the people. But the Lord rebukes Moses and Aaron and says in verse 12, You're not going to bring this assembly into the Holy Land. You're not going to bring them into the land that I have given you because you have not believed me to treat me as holy. Now, we might look at this account, and people have over the years looked at this very carefully and come up with different conclusions as to what Moses did wrong. But you know that in the first five books of the Old Testament, particularly Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, which we've had opportunities to study together, that you see the Lord stating a command. And then it is stated precisely that the people did what the Lord said, and then it's summarized by saying just as the Lord commanded Moses, or just as the Lord commanded. We are going to have another instance of that later in this chapter. When the Bible says in verses 25 and 26, you take Aaron Aaron and Eliezer on the mountain, and you take off Aaron's garments, and you put them on Eliezer. Those commands in verses 25 and 26 will be duplicated almost word for word in verse 28. Here, you do find the phrase just as the Lord commanded Moses, don't you? You find it in verse 9 though that this is before Moses does all the things involved. He took the rod just as the Lord commanded He took the rod just as the Lord commanded, but it doesn't put that phrase at the end. He gathered the assembly before the rock. I think we could have stated there too, just as the Lord commanded. But when He speaks to the people, He speaks to the people and strikes the rock, the water comes. But if you look carefully, that's not what the Lord said. The Lord said that you assemble the people and you speak to the rock. Is it important to do what God says? And if you don't do what the Lord says, God says in verse 12, you have not Believe me. Now, how would we generally word that? Did you know what?
1: You didn't trust me.
0: You didn't trust me or obey. obey me. You didn't obey me. God says, You didn't believe. If we don't <coughs> obey, there's a sense in which we don't believe. And sometimes in the Bible, unbelief. Is paralleled with disobedience, and belief is contrasted, contrasted with disobedience. And so we might say, "It you didn't <coughs> obey," but he says, "You didn't believe." And I want to tell you another time this phrase was used: that you didn't believe in verse, uh, in chapter four, verse eleven. Chapter 4, verse 11. Excuse me. I'm, uh, chapter 14, verse 11. Numbers 14, 11. Someone turn there and read that. First one there, read it.
1: Then the Lord said to Moses, How long will these people reject me? How long will they not believe me? With all the signs which I have performed among them.
0: Okay. The word believe, same word you see here. What's the context of Numbers 13 and 14? It is the people's refusal to go into the land. Moses and Aaron, through this act, are exercising the same kind of unbelief that Israel did in failing to take the land. There is a value In listening to what God says. And doing what He says. Even if we don't understand the purpose of it. Even if we can't see the reason for it. I know I was in a discussion not long ago. And I said, are are we willing to believe something? When nothing else backs it up except God's Word. We can't appeal to this outside study or this or modern philosophy or psychology. But the Word says it. Are we going to believe it just because God says it? And God says, you haven't believed in me to honor me as holy. Holy or to treat me as holy in the sight of the sons of Israel. Now, holiness is mentioned both in verses 12 and verse 13. And what is interesting to me is the language is very similar to the language used of Nadab and Abihu in Leviticus 10 and verse 3, when God says, By those who come near me, I will be treated as holy. Holy. That's given us the reason that God set fire to consume Nadab and Abihu. By those who come near me, I will be treated as holy. And Moses is told, you have not believed me to treat me as holy in the sight of the sons of Israel. Now, this really isn't Moses' first fall. Remember in Numbers 11 where Moses says, Lord, if this is the way you're going to deal with me, just strike me dead uh, because I can't bear the burden of this people alone. Numbers 11, verses 10 through 15. So God's been patient with Moses. Even in that chapter when God says, I'm going to give the people meat to eat for a month, Moses says, Lord, how are you going to do this? And the Lord says, is my hand limited? Is my hand too short? So Moses has questioned God before. And God has been patient. And God has been long-suffering. There was a Jewish source that was explaining Numbers 11 and Numbers 20. It said this. Moses said in Numbers 11, he questioned God, but he did that privately. Here, this was done before the sight of all Israel. In this case, it demands a punishment that all could understand and see that God must be treated as holy. Now, I told you we would come back to the word contended. In verse 13, Therefore the waters of Meribah, because they contended with the Lord, there is a wordplay from the word Meribah, And the word contended. This is kind of, this is a little simplistic, but this is kind of the participle form, the word meribah, of this verb contended. So those words, the basic root word in Hebrew is the same. Basic root word. They called it meribah, because They contended with the Lord. Now, something else is also interesting on that line is the consonants, the consonants of the word uh, holy are the same as the consonants for Kadesh in Hebrew. And so. So again, there's a couple of ways. I just give that to you if that may help you to, to remember this account or for this to stand out to you. What questions do you all have? What thoughts do you all have here?
1: Vanessa. I did God give the water when He didn't do it the way He asked Him to?
0: Hmm? Okay. It's a statement to... I don't know ultimately... But it is a statement to in spite of their failures we see His mercy. We continually see His mercy. If the Lord, if these people are ever going to make it the promised land it's going to be a statement of His mercy and grace. Now, what I want us to do right here is I want us to read Exodus 17 verses 1-7. through 7. I want you to t- turn there I'm going to ask one of you all to read it. I, th- th- this account has some great similarities with what we see here in Numbers 20. And I want to ask you what, what some will say. Some will say, oh, these are just different versions of the same account. Um, of course, we know nothing similar ever happens in human experience. I'm being sarcastic mm-hmm. there, but so I don't think these are these are two records mm-hmm. of the same event. I think these are events separated by about forty years. But I want us to point out. I want you to look for as you read the similarities and the differences, and we're going to try to make a point out of this. Okay, I'm going to let one of you, whoever volunteer, who wants to read this. Um, if you have a word of exhortation, speak. This guy caught Craig's eye. So Craig, you're in. You go ahead and read. What is it again? Exodus 17, 1-7. through
1: All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages according to the commandment of the Lord and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Nasa and Meribah, because of the quarreling of the people of Israel, and because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not?
0: Okay, very good. Very good.
1: What are comparisons that you see
0: between these passages?
1: It starts off all the congregation is gathered okay. together.
0: Okay, all the congregation. And, and the verse was uh in, in, in Exodus what verse was that? One. Okay, it's verse one seventeen one. And it was in twenty verse two and three anyway. Okay? What else? They quarreled. Okay. They quarreled. And it may not surprise you to find out that that word quarreled in 17 verse 2 and 17 verse 7. And understand 17 is going to be Exodus. 20 is going to be Numbers. It is the same word translated, contended in Numbers 20. It's the same word. Word, So, all the congregation they quarreled, and what's the setting for their quarreling? No water, water, same situation that we're dealing with in 17 and verse 1, and Numbers 20 and verse 2. Um, Also, the complaint, why have you brought us up from Egypt? 17.3 and Numbers 20 in verse 4. The word for staff that is used in Exodus 17 is the same word that is used for rod in Numbers 20. Same word that we're dealing with. Translated different ways but same word. And both involve a rock and water coming out of the rock and both of them have the place name Meribah. So you, you can understand why some people might say hey, this is the same account. Uh, you know, it's, 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 under, it's understandable. But the differences are pretty striking too. What are some of the differences in these texts? Aaron didn't go up with hand. Okay. In Exodus 17, there is no mention of Aaron. No mention of Aaron. In Numbers 20, Aaron appears in verse 2, verse 6, verse 8, verse 10, And verse 12. So he appears five times in Numbers 20. He doesn't appear in Exodus 17. On the other hand, who appears in Exodus 17 who do do not appear in Numbers 20? Uh, the The elders of Israel. Exodus 17. The elders play a key part in this. But in Numbers 20, they are not mentioned. So again, there is a point of difference. What else?
1: Kadesh versus Rephidim.
0: Okay, okay. That is the case, a place, exactly. And Rephidim is in seventeen one. is that right? It is. Okay, and then Kadesh... In Numbers 20, in verse 1, so you have a different place. Now, this is a point, how about the staff and rod? Those are a point of similarity, but they're also a point of difference. How is that?
1: God actually told him to strike the rod.
0: Okay. okay, yeah. Sorry. Again, Craig, that's our main point.
1: Oh, <laughs> yeah, okay.
0: We're building we're building up. We're still building up. But but um, um what whose rod is involved in seventeen? This one's
1: Moses. In, in Exodus
0: seventeen, it is Moses' rod. In numbers twenty it is Aaron's rod. Now How do I know that? How do I know in particular? How do I know Numbers twenty is Aaron's rod? They and took from, bu- from before the Lord. From before the Lord. Remember, after Aaron's rod budded, they put it in Exodus seventeen verse ten before the testimony of the Lord, which seems to be the Ark of the Covenant. They put it there. They take that rod out. So it's a different rod that is involved. Now, to build up to our, but there is, there's also a different, there is also a massa mentioned that a massa is meant, in the word massa is from the same root as tested, which is the word used in Exodus seventeen seven. 7, but, but massa is not mentioned in numbers. Now, I want to tell you, I think, just listening to his reading a moment ago, Craig knows the next point. And uh, what what would that be?
1: The instruction was different.
0: Okay. In Exodus 17, what are they told to do? Strike, it. Strike, it. Strike the rock. Strike the rock. So the instruction is different. In Numbers 20, it is speak to the rock. And also, the conclusion is different. You know, here Moses says they're about ready to stone me, and then they pick up and go on. Here, Moses and Aaron do not enter the promised land. So they are rebuked in Numbers 20. He is not in Exodus 17. Now, there are undeniable similarities. There are also clear differences. What is being said? this was at the very beginning of their leaving Egypt this I believe is right before they're going into the land of Canaan in 40 years what have the people learned it's the same people committing the same sins And whether it be a new generation, as John said, or the old one, they're not learning from the faults that they have committed. One writer said it this way, despite the failings of the people and the failings of the leaders, here Moses and Aaron are falling. Despite the failings of the people, the failings of the leaders, despite the refusal of the nations to treat Israel with kindness, which we're about to see, God provides Israel with all he needs. God is still keeping his promises in spite of the failures of the people, God is still keeping his promises in spite of the hostility of the nations. God is still keeping His promises even when one generation disappears from the scene. That's telling us something profound about God. Now let me tell you something that I hesitate to bring up. Because I don't know if i got a good explanation. But in 1 Corinthians 10... Paul is talking about the wilderness experience. He is comparing in 1 Corinthians 10 the wilderness experience to the experiences right then in the Corinthian church. And how they needed to learn the lessons from the wilderness and not to fall like the people in the wilderness did. But the statement is made in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 4 the people drank of the rock which was following them which rock was Christ. Now I want to tell you, I never would have made a connection between the rock and Christ unless Paul has stated it here. I think part of the point is to say that God was with Israel in the wilderness and Christ was with Israel in the wilderness. God has always been a father, son, and spirit, though it hasn't been revealed clearly to the pages of the New Testament. God's always been... So Christ was with them in the wilderness. Christ was guiding for them, guiding them through, and Christ was providing for their needs. I think all those things are stated. Now, if some of you want to do research on that passage and write a paper, I could give you extra credit. But, but, you know, that, that, that... I think it shows us there's a profound connection with Christ in all these stories that we can easily miss. We may not always see it clearly, but it is there. And may God help us just to keep meditating on that to let that sink in to us. What, any questions you have right there? Simon?
1: Not, not a question, but an observation. Um, I, I'm, I'm with John. I think that
0: in Numbers 20, we are looking at this next generation. Mm-hmm. I think this is probably one of the greatest generations of God's people ever. But they still fail. They yeah. still yeah. need God.
1: Yeah. And, and as Israel goes on, and I think this is a lesson for us, they constantly want to blame the generation behind them. In Jeremiah, they said, Hey, this happened to us because of our fathers.
0: Yeah. In Jeremiah 5,
1: <laughs> Jer- 7, Jeremiah, God says, How can I pardon you? Your children have forsaken me. Yeah. So it's a demonstration
0: that every generation needs God, regardless Absolutely. of how good they might appear. Some generations may be better than others, but all of them are sinners and need God's forgiveness and God's mercy and God's grace. And and so, you, you, you're right. You know, that, that was one of the best generations. Uh, matter of fact, you know, um, the Bible says they served the Lord all that the generation of Joshua and the elders who'd lived Joshua. But then there arose another generation that hadn't served God. That is a rare commendation of a group in a nation. But... Um but like Simon said, it doesn't mean they're perfect. It doesn't mean as we as we see in the book of Joshua. So, the people have their problems within. They got their problems without. In verses 14-21, through we'll see what happens with Edom. From Kadesh, Moses then sent messengers to the king of Edom, saying, Thus says your brother, You know all the hardships that have befallen us. He says, Your brother... He uses the term brother to refer... He uses the term brother to refer to uh, the nation of Edom. And we'll see that reference in Deuteronomy 2 verse 4. Another reference like that Deuteronomy 23 verse 7. Don't despise an Edomite, he is your brother. And you see references to that particularly in the book of Obadiah when the Edomites had violated that brotherly covenant and had been violent to Israel. The relationship between Edom and Israel was often an extension of the tense and hostile relationship between Jacob and Esau. But thus says your brother, you know all the hardship that has befallen us. Now I think this is interesting. I don't know how word got around in those days. But it did. And other nations knew what's happening with Israel. Israel. Now, one of the things I want you to understand from that is God did not leave Himself without witness in that world. When they come to the land of Canaan to spy out Jericho, Rahab gives a synopsis of all God has done in Joshua 2, 9 and 10. So do the Gibeonites in Joshua 9, verses 9 and 10. The point is God... God is revealing Himself through this people Israel and other nations should have learned, but says, You know all the hardship that has befallen us. And that's a statement, a similar statement, that word hardship only used four times in the Old Testament. This is one of them. Another is in Exodus 18 verse 8 where Moses explains to Jethro about all the hardship that had befallen Israel along the way. Verses 15 and 16 are an appeal for sympathy to Edom. They're an appeal to sympathy and they're a brief summary of what all has happened to them. In verse 15, our fathers went down to Egypt. We stayed in Egypt a long time and the Egyptians treated us and our fathers badly. But when we cried to the Lord, and notice Lord is in all capitals, This is Yahweh. Israel is talking about their God to the king of Edom. He heard our voice and sent an angel and brought us out of Egypt. Now behold, we are at Kadesh, a town on the edge of your territory. God is revealing Himself to the Edomites through these words as well. Not only through His works, but also through the words of these messengers. And they ask simply that they may pass along through the king's highway. King's highway mentioned here and in Numbers chapter 21 and verse 22. By the way, that that highway is identifiable by archaeologists and it was one a highway that connected Israel with the ancient Near East because they passed through their region anyway. But Edom will not let them pass. And they say in verse 18, I'll come out against you with the sword if you do try to go. Israel makes the request again in verse 19. We shall go up by the highway. If I have my livestock to drink any of your water, then I will pay its price. Let me only pass through on my foot, nothing else. But he said, you shall not Passed through. And Edom came out against him with a heavy force and a strong hand, and Edom refused to allow God to pass through their territory. So Israel turned away from him. As we stated, in spite of the hostility of the nations, God is going to keep his promise. The nations are not helping. The Israelites are not helping either. But God's going to keep His promises, isn't He? In spite of everything, He will keep His promises. And what is shown here about the relationship between Edom and Israel will pretty much be what you see through the whole Old Testament. There is one occasion, can any of you remember one occasion where Edom is allied with Israel and Judah? in 2 Kings 3 when Jehoshaphat and Jehoram are going to battle with the king of Edom against Moab if you remember that story 2 Kings 3 that's one time but that's the only time I can think of the nation of Edom is the one that's most frequently some have said I haven't counted them all up condemned in the prophets because they are kind of an Arch example of Israel's enemies, or uh, the 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 greatest example of Israel's arch enemy. So, um, Edom passed through. Edom would not let Israel pass through. Let's look at verses twenty through twenty two. I don't twenty two through twenty nine. I don't want to get behind. The congregation came to Mount Hor. It's on the border of Edom. Verse twenty three. And they tell in verse 24, Aaron shall be gathered to his people. That phrase is also going to be used, a basic phrase, in verse 26. I'll try to send you out some notes. But there's only a few times that phrase is used in the Old Testament. And does it refer to meeting your people in Sheol after death? I I don't know. Some, Some say that. Aaron shall be gathered to his people, for he shall not enter the land which I am going to give the sons of Israel, because you rebelled against my command at the waters of Meribah. The word rebelled used to describe Aaron here is the word Moses and Aaron used to describe the people in verse 10. Listen now you rebels. I think it fits the people, but it fit Moses and Aaron too unfortunately. Because you rebelled at my command at the waters of Meribah. Now listen, listen to precisely stated and then repeated. Take Aaron and his son Eliezer and bring him up to Mount Hor and strip Aaron of his garments and put them on his son Eliezer. So Aaron will be gathered to his people and will die there. So Moses did just as the Lord had commanded and they went up to Mount Hor in the sight of all the congregation and Moses had stripped Aaron of his garments and put them on his son Eliezer. And Aaron died there on the mountaintop. Thus Moses and Eliezer came down from the mountain. When all the congregation saw that Aaron had died, all the house of Israel wept from Aaron thirty days. The words in verse 28, stripped, Aaron, his garments, put them on Eliezer, his son. All those words in verse 28 were in verse 26. They're doing just as the Lord commanded. But Aaron's death certainly shows the passing of a generation. Bear with me just a second on this because at first you may not recognize where I'm going. You notice in verse 29, they mourned Aaron for 30 days. I used to be a subscriber to Biblical Archaeology Review. Um, I dropped them at this point when this happened. Uh, I, I, thankfully, by Farrell Jenkins' kindness, he's given me copies for gave me copies for twenty or thirty years. After he got it digitally, he gave me some old copies. But I was getting the magazine, just reading the head of article on Miriam. So I said, love a good article," and they point out that Aaron had died and they wept for him 30 days and there's no mention of mourning for Miriam in verse 1. And they mentioned other accounts of Miriam and obviously this story is just told, they said, because of its anti-woman bias. That was 30 years ago. And there are some people today who see everything, even the biblical stories, through those prisms of race and gender. That's all that it means to them. If that's the way you look at the world, you're going to miss it. Because that is not the prism through which we view every single event. We look at these stories. There, I don't know if there was a mourning for Miriam. It's not recorded. We have to understand Aaron's position was unique. This is no discredit to Miriam. It mentions her death. But it does show that Aaron played a distinct role among the people. Think about it. If you got questions, feel free to ask. God bless. Lord willing, numbers twenty one on Wednesday.